Hey y'all and welcome to the hashtag truth challenge podcast where I talk about the whole truth and nothing but the truth in regards to young adulthood, mental health and relationships. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Play. Please rate this podcast. Okay, comment on this podcast, share this podcast and last but not least, subscribe to this podcast. Okay, (laughs) stay tuned. Hey y'all and welcome back to another episode of the Hashtag Truth Challenge podcast. We are on day four of the podcast marathon and I'm excited, okay? I'm excited because you know what, although some of these things I am familiar with and I have learned about them previously, it's good to kind of refresh and learn some new things and really be empowered by this knowledge that I'm gaining. So not only am I making this content for uh, my listeners, but it's helping me as well. Now, if you are a new listener, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. I hope you have subscribed. I just want to thank y'all for supporting me. Just the outpouring of support has just been wonderful. Um, But to say the least, I'm probably never going to do a podcast marathon again because, listen, I was tired, okay? And if I ever do one again, I will be very strategic about the way that I record the episodes. But that's neither here nor there. Let's get into the episode. So today, I want to specifically talk about mental illness slash health in the Black community and a history of it for the most part. I'm going to be reading from an article. Um, I was doing my research and I found this article and I wanted to take talking points from it, but there was so much great stuff. I was like, why would I retype all this out when you could just read directly from the article, period. So because I am reading directly from this article, I want to give you uh, the person that actually wrote it. So First, this is on blackpast.org. I repeat, blackpast.org. And this article was written by Dr. Yushina Ume. I hope I'm saying that correctly. She is of Nigerian descent and she is the author of this article. She is a Texas physician. And she briefly describes how mental health among African-Americans was viewed and treated just throughout history, okay? Again, her name is Dr. Yushina Ume. Uh, Pronunciation check, please. (laughs) So let's get right into this. So in 1848, there was a physician and medical director of the Eastern Lunatic Asylum in Williamsburg, Virginia, by the name of John Galt. And this is what he offered as a thought or hypothesis. And I quote, blacks are immune to mental illness. I'm gonna say that one more time for the people in the back. Blacks are immune to mental illness. Now, um, Mr. Galtier hypothesized that enslaved Africans could not develop mental illness because as enslaved people, they did not own property, engage in commerce, or participate in civic affairs such as voting or holding office. This immunity hypothesis assumed, according to Galt, that others at the time that the risk of 
lunacy would be highest in those populations who were emotionally exposed to the stress of profit making uh so specifically white wealthy men so essentially they said there's no reason for you to really have mental illnesses to really have that kind of um burden because you don't have the average um burdens of people in america essentially all right so um another person that i want to bring up is someone by the name of dr benjamin rush and in his writings one thing that he stated um and this was something that was against mr galt's ideas about there being an absence of mental illness among black slaves and he specifically wrote that enslaved uh, african americans suffered from quote-unquote abnormal behaviors including negritude which he describes as the irrational desire by blacks to become white <laughs> again the term is negritude and since becoming white could only be accomplished by miscegenation he argued against intermarriage between races to ensure that negritude would not spread beyond the black population um and more ironically that uh, there's no indication that he ever treated anyone for this disease and he noted in one of his writings that the africans become insane soon after they enter upon the toils of perpetual slavery in the west indies uh which makes sense right because okay first of all let's go back to the term negritude which is the irrational desire by blacks to become white why would we ever want to be white people why would we want to do like the fact that that was actually characterized as a abnormal behavior not necessarily uh, a mental illness but an abnormal behavior the desire to become white now on one aspect just a teeny 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 just teeny 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 bit i could understand that because at some point i know there's some slave back in my ancestral history at some point that was just like bruh if if i was just white i wouldn't have to be doing all this i wouldn't have to go through all this like it it just wouldn't have to be me if i was white but at the same time uh it is very irrational for a black to want to become white because who wants to be like their captor or the person that is enslaving them that doesn't make any sense uh the fact that this is an actual term <laughs> i just i can't right now and so essentially he used this term also to justify uh segregation essentially because he's saying we shouldn't have interracial marriage none of that because this is something that can be passed down through african thinking and we need our, our white stuff to stay white and stay pure and we need a certain type of thinking and this goes back to the eugenics 
uh, on the first day that I talked about the uh, Eurocentric views and Eurocentrism of just like trying to keep everything within their race. And if you were on the outside, you might as well just go somewhere and die off, essentially, so that we can keep everything as pure as possible. Now, in this next uh, little segment, it's some words that I can barely pronounce, y'all, so bear with me. And I remember these words from college. Um, again, I learned about these things in African Black Psychology, but listen, it's I, I was tired. That's my excuse for everything. I'm tired. So um, one thing that was promoted during these times in regards to the mental health of the black person was something called drapetomania please pronunciation check but this was characterized as a disease that caused enslaved blacks to flee their plantations ain't it crazy how they coming up with psychological terms to explain basic human instincts i don't want to be no slave i don't want to be picking cotton i don't want to breastfeed your white children i don't want to be out in the hot sun all day so i spend a run away and get away from massa <laughs> like and they made this into a term again called drapetomania pronunciation check i'm gonna say that after every word because i'm gonna need you to know that i don't know how to pronounce this stuff and i'm not ashamed to say it and if you know how to pronounce it honey go ahead and do it okay judge your mother not me anyways the next term that i don't know how to say <laughs> let me stop playing let me stop playing so the next term is dysthasia aethiopa Ethiopia, Ethiopia, one of those, judge your mother, not me. But this was a disease that was caused, um, well, it was characterized as a state of dullness, uh, lethargy, and would now be considered depression. So again, this was a term that was used to describe black people that were dull, lethargic, and essentially just like they're depressed, right? So now modern historians obviously described both conditions as being understandable responses to enslavement right i have every reason to run away from pl plantations and i have every reason to be dull and lethargic in my everyday living right but okay it's always a but because we know white people they got a reason for everything but white medical practitioners at the time assumed they were manifestations of mental illness gosh what the world now moving on to a another person here we're, we're staying on these topics of dreptomania and dysthasia athiopia the, okay pronunciation check there was a, a man by the name of dr samuel cartwright and he was a pro-slavery physician who worked with enslaved people in louisiana and he argued that severe whipping was the typical and best treatment for both of these conditions 
So in turn, he reported that drapetomania and dystasia athiopia were often accompanied by skin lesions, which historians now argue were most likely scars from whippings. In other words, these physicians failed to recognize that there was a connection between the emotional state of enslaved people and the treatment that they recommended for their conditions. Okay, let me tell you something about black people, and this is true to this day. When black people uh, get any type of scar or any type of like skin damage, most of us do something that is called keloiding, like on our skin. So that is, it's a, it's a scar, but it's like enlarged. And like he's saying, it's like a lesion. So of course, if you whip me when I come back from trying to escape or you whip me because i'm lethargic and dull and i'm not working hard enough my skin as a black person is going to scar welt and turn into a lesion which i think this article is not saying this but i think they they're keloids because that's just what happens with a lot of black people's skin we we get keloids when we scar up a lot of people when they get their ears pierced they begin to get a growth behind or under the ear uh it's a keloid it's just something that happens to black people like i don't know if it's painful or not i don't think that it is but um you can get them removed and whatever have you but the fact that this uh i was gonna say fine young man but he's not uh dr samuel cartwright sir uh i don't know who this man is i i hate to sound ridiculous <laughs> but if i saw him walking down the street i wouldn't know a thing i don't know you sir but i don't think you're a very good person okay but the fact that mr samuel here really said that hey these two things lead to this and we don't see any correlation between the emotional stress that they're going through and the direct consequences that we give them for these actions. Where was y'all frame of mind at? There wasn't one because you're so busy trying to manipulate people for your gain in, in finance that you're not even putting two and two together. You sound dumb. You sound stupid. You're, you're stupid. Anyways, I'm getting upset. Okay, so most pre-Civil War mental health facilities in the South usually bear the enslaved for treatment. Um, apparently, mental health experts believe that housing blacks and whites in the same facilities would detrimentally affect the healing of the whites. Housing conditions in Southern asylums for the few that accepted the enslaved were bad enough for white patients. So in other words, insane asylums back a long periodically time ago were already terrible they were trash i don't know if y'all have uh done the the research or have learned anything about 
how mentally ill people were handled in the past, but it was trash, okay? So what they're saying is, listen, it was already bad enough for the white people, but for the black people, it was even worse to the point that they were often not even housed uh, in the facility, but like outdoors or near the institutions or in local jails. So imagine your, your loved one or even yourself, like you're going through something, you may be suicidal or whatever, and they don't really treat you. They just go put you in jail. And the crazy part is, now that I'm really thinking about this as I'm reading this, they still do that to this day. If you, especially if there's a black guy walking down the street talking to himself and he seems like he's harassing people, where do they take that man to jail? Does that make sense? No, it does not. Let's keep reading. There were accounts of some child slaves being cared for in the yards of the asylums. Most of these facilities were run without government funding or oversight, and inmates, as the children were called, were regularly misdiagnosed and wrongly accused of crimes. Do that sound familiar? I think it does. Extending their stay in these institutions and exposing them to additional mistreatment by authorities. Sound familiar? I think it does. Many of these children were subjected to hard manual labor on farms owned by or near these institutions, foreshadowing the notorious convict leasing systems that sprang up across the reconstruction era south essentially what was happening in the mental health community among blacks is systemic racism okay like you free but you ain't really free because we're gonna have you in this insane asylum and then we're gonna put you to work over at this plantation down over here okay and we're gonna have you working for next to nothing if anything at all so we can still keep our businesses running but don't worry it's all cool though because we don't have anybody from the government looking into what we're doing not that they would care about the black people but if they did have government funding and oversight uh, nobody's looking at us so we can do whatever we want to do bam systemic racism let's continue Often the labor of these children were praised by asylum authorities. Shocker. Further raising questions about the correctness of their diagnosis or mental illness. Here we watch a glimpse of the possible origin of contemporary black distrust of the healthcare system. This is so true, y'all, because essentially what they're saying is, We've never been treated right. So how can we trust people to take care of our health or our mental health if they're using us? They're, they're using and exploiting us for their gain. So that translates into today because most people in the black community do not see therapists. They don't go to the doctor when something is wrong. If black people will have a headache for a whole month and not go to the doctor, ma'am, sir, you probably have a brain tumor, but it is engraved in us. It is our history. It is our heritage that we cannot trust any type of public official, uh, any type of Anybody that's in charge, we cannot trust you. That is what we have learned in history, and it perpetuates up until now. I'm getting mad low-key. Let me calm down. <laughs> so basically, in essence, if these slaves were truly, quote-unquote, 
out of their senses, how were they able to carry out sustained hard labor that required special skills while white patients were often, quote unquote, too feeble minded to work? So again, they're giving misdiagnosis so that they can still gain from black people. We gonna say you got a mental, how else do they use this now? By diagnosing our young black boys with ADD and ADHD and all these other things. Like, no. And, and guess what? When they get those diagnoses, the school gets a certain percentage that is like, I don't even know the how much more they get for children that are diagnosed with any type of like, uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I I know ADD. I know I said ADHD. ADHD, but it's another word that I'm looking for. But essentially, school systems get more money for children with any type of mental illness diagnosis. It's literally all the same thing. It's the same thing. Okay, and so then, despite us. As black people that were enslaved fighting in the Civil War, this did not do any type of enlightenment about the treatment of African Americans with mental illness. Okay, so in 1895, someone by the name of Dr. T.O. Powell, who was the superintendent of the, the Georgia Lunatic Asylum, observed an alarming increase in insanity and consumption among blacks in his state which he attributed to three decades of freedom powell argued that when the former slaves got their freedom it caused them to have little or no control over their appetites and passions and thus led to excessive and vices which in turn generated a rise in insanity like medical experts before him, Powell did not factor in socioeconomic conditions, including poverty, poverty, racial discrimination, and the ever-looming specter of violence, aka lynchings, um, and all these other things that re all these other things that reached an all-time high between the 1890s and 1920s period as playing a role in the mental health of these free people. Once again, white people in history have ignored, as this just said, the socioeconomic conditions, including poverty, racial discrimination, and violence as part of why we suffer mentally. There is only so much a person can take, okay? There is only so far a person can go before they truly snap and they are not okay and they are not in their right mind or before listen i be depressed when i can't get my picture to hang up right on the wall i be sad i be like lord i don't know if i'm ever gonna get through this imagine imagine being a slave think about those slaves that the first slaves that were taken from their country taken from their culture unable to speak their native language unable to just simply be who they were and now you're you're a piece of property dirt trash somebody owns you like your cattle like imagine mentally the toll that that took on them i 
I would be insane too. You want to know why? Because I'm struggling right now with just, just what's going on in the world right now. I'm struggling. So I can't imagine. I can't imagine the boat ride over here. I really, I, I, I can't. <sighs> okay, we, we getting there. So at the beginning of the 20th century, African-Americans who were said to have mental deficiencies faced a new, more dangerous threat to their well-being, the eugenics movement, right? So this is something that we talked about in the first podcast, um, and it started in Great Britain. The movement quickly spread to the United States in the 1920s. Eugenics was based on two parallel principles, the encouragement of births among people who were considered quote-unquote good genetic stock and the sterilization of people deemed unfit for reproduction including individuals with mental illness those who were poor and those accused of sexual promiscuity and sexual criminality sterilization in the u.s quickly focused on african-americans in california alone in the 1930s african-americans who compromised who comprised of 1% of the population made up 4% of the victims of legal sterilization. Eventually, 18 states, eventually, they passed laws allowing for widespread sterilization of the institutionalized, including many who were black, misdiagnosed, and falsely accused of crimes. So they said, listen, it's not enough for us to just have this theory, this thought, or this hypothesis. Let's work up to the point where we can actually make this legal because we have quote-unquote statistics and information and data to prove these points, okay? Now, although sterilization, it lost some of its appeal later on because obviously we don't really do that anymore, kind of sort of i'm not gonna get into that but essentially it was discovered by nazi germany and they capitalized off of it in the 70s obviously with everything that happened with um the the jewish population and just that was terrible as well but we talk about black people um some states in the south including uh north carolina and alabama still sterilized disproportionate numbers of black women who were declared by courts to be mentally defective in north carolina in the 1960s for example more than 85 percent of those legally sterilized were black women legally sterilized legally so that they have this black woman she's been a part of systemic racism it's taken a toll on her she is a, a manic depressant she has been misdiagnosed as pretty much whatever they want to say to deem you unfit then therefore using these uh ideologies and thoughts of eugenics and sterilization to say you are not fit because these are not genes that we want perpetualized in society that's essentially what happens right so there's so much to cover and i'm already at 26 minutes wow we're we're this this the last one i'm gonna uh read though because I, I don't want this to be too long so african americans were also victimized by psychosurgery from the 1930s to the 1960s a process of surgically removing parts of the brain 
also known as a lobotomy if you're not familiar to treat mental illness and this again this started in europe this is a eurocentric view eurocentrism and it quickly gained acceptance in the u.s for reasons that were finally ruled as socio-political rather than medical by the late 1970s psychosurgery was promoted as a treatment for quote-unquote brain dysfunction dr vernon mark and william sweet argued into the 1960s that this violence was the result of a surgically treatable brain disorder and prompted their agenda as a specific contribution to ending the political unrest of the period some lobotomies were performed on black children as a as young as five as young as five years old who exhibited excessive or aggressive or hyperactive behaviors that's the word i was looking for earlier uh hyper very active hyperactive so essentially they said listen little black boys and girls if y'all doing too much we cutting into your brains to remove that as treatment because we find it valid these things are not valid they're not <sighs> reading this article and just seeing how white people have just justified anything that they want to do for the sake of quote-unquote research is disgusting it's upsetting me and my homegirls because it's like well damn if you can't even be depressed in peace then what can you do anyways there is a lot more to this article and i'm not going to read all into it because this is a little bit too long for what i want it to be but please go read this article it is on black past that's b-l-a-c-k-p-a-s-t dot org this article again is by dr yushina ume pronunciation check but please read this whole article because it is very informative it is also disturbing and it will have you upset okay it will upset you and your homegirls as you have seen it's upsetting me and when my homegirls hear it they're gonna be upset too so y'all i'm tired <laughs> i know i keep saying that but it's true and i'm gonna keep saying it until i'm free from it okay please if you have already forgotten in the intro subscribe like share comment rate all those good things everything in between i appreciate y'all for listening i will see y'all tomorrow for the final episode of the podcast marathon leading up to juneteenth y'all be safe out here peace